Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Uh, beaming to you live from our Barangaroo studios here in Sydney. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon, the Monday uh, edition of Ausbiz Today with the call. <coughs> Excuse me, this is the show where we look at 10 stocks suggested by you and we put them to two experts, two of our favourites today are joining us on a Monday. Uh, Nathan Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, how are you? Good to be here. Uh, Better su- than the weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Survived the uh, the heat wave in Sydney on the weekend. Yeah, a good 45 degrees uh, for two days. Uh, good barbecue. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the wind is the one that... Yeah, it's like a convection oven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Scott Phillips from the balmy Southern Highlands, of course, <laughs> from Motley Full, I should say, but even got hot down your way, Scott. Josh, you mate, good afternoon. Yeah, it did. 33, 34 degrees on on Sunday morning. It was a, it was a stinker, but not as bad as it was, I hear. And in Sydney, much Sydney's west and right somewhere around the northern uh, eastern side of the country. Tough, tough conditions. 45 degrees, well out west. Apparently almost 50 degrees out Burke Birds Hallway. So, uh, mate, I've yeah. myself lucky. It was uh, a little bit nicer here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For 33 degrees over the weekend in New South Wales, almost Arctic-like. But, uh, <laughs> but it's great to have you both here. And before we get into the 10 stocks that you've suggested, um, I choose a stock of the day. And I thought we'd take a look at Treasury Wine Estates, uh, admitting that Chinese demand will be extremely limited after Beijing instituted new provisional anti-dumping measures on Friday. Uh, Treasury Wine was responding by reallocating much of its bin and icon ranges away from China to luxury Western markets. Um, Scott, what do you think of the impact on Treasury Wine Estates. Its um, share price has taken a bit of a hammering on Friday. It's down another 50, 60 odd cents uh, today. Um, what do you think of Treasury, its investment performance over to the, into the future with these limitations? So, Kosh, I'll, I'll declare if I own shares, so that may or may not cloud everything I say next, but I actually don't, I'm not as worried as the market is about this one. Now, it adds a heap of uncertainty, obviously. It adds a heap of short-term risk, and frankly, it's going to cost a heap of short-term profit. So that's all the, that's all the bad news wrapped up in one in one big bundle. I Look, you know, there are always going to be issues with China, always going to be issues with Chinese trade. We've seen that in multiple commodities over time. The big, the big watch out here is, of course, whether or not the Australian government, the Chinese government can come to some sort of terms um, look, frank, frankly, mate, I, I think long term, this is a great investment. So I'm going to buy more as soon as our trading rules allow at The Motley Fool. Um, now I've talked about it on your program. I can't buy for at least another two full market days. Uh, and certainly our members need to know as well. So but moving forward, mate, I think it's a great buying opportunity because I don't think, you know, there's a very, very small chance this is a permanent problem. And if it's not a permanent problem and I get to buy treasury shares for what, 40, 50, 60% less than they were not that long ago yeah, yeah. with the same business, with the same prospects, albeit a short-term problem, 
that's that's a you know that, that's a bargain hunter's dream. So uh, I like the business. I like the brands. I actually really like the way they responded today too. Very thoughtful. They didn't want to annoy the Chinese, so they didn't. But they said, look, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We respect the the Ministry of Commerce in China. We respect what they've decided to do, and we'll keep working with them. Work with other partners. It was a very workmanlike response from Treasury. So look, I know I I think you know I get why the market's freaked out. But in those circumstances, that's when long-term investors are offered a good price. And frankly, unless you believe Treasury never gets back into China, this is a great opportunity to buy some shares on the cheap mm, for mine. Okay. And when, when you say, look at that chart, it was what, $16 at the end of last year, uh, December, January, right. took the big hit like everybody else. Look, $18, $18 now down mm-hmm. at $8.59 as uh, we speak. That's a big drop, drop off. Nathan, is it a, a good buying opportunity? Uh, first of all, is it a well-run company? Is it a good company? Um, oh, look, we play with data. Um, and this is atrocious right you can't you look at it it has a perception of a great business model it has a great brand management the last couple of years have been very patchy Um, if you look at the earnings cycle it's been in multiple downgrades Um, the big story obviously the upside was about China I mean they're growing in multiple regions but China was the big area play no one should be apparently they account for 40 percent of all Australian wine exports to China. Mm. So they're, they're the, the mother load of exactly. China. And this is not the first time they've had issues and they've had a massive stockpile of excess wine in right. China and they've had this issue in the US as well. So the, the, these are cyclical problems that they get into in the long cycles. So that shouldn't be a surprising. If anybody's surprised that China put a tariff on Australian wine, <laughs> you get out of the rock. This was yeah. something that we already knew about. It was yeah, going to happen. Did. It was a matter of time. Yeah. Anything that can be replaced by a third party vendor is going to be under threat. Yeah. That's how you've got to look at China in the short to medium term. In the longer term, it's a global growth play. We will get some part of it. Now, the question is how long that takes. We don't know. Now, um, Scott's right. It, is a, it was a growth stock before. Now it's a value stock. Yeah. So that transition usually comes with things going seriously wrong, and it has, not just on China, overall had had issues. Now, I think it, it is an interesting point. Um, do I know when this is going to turn around? Uh, you know, you can, it's how long it's a string play. Yep. Um, I think in the shorter term, the risk is that the, if the market has a bit of a pullback, market tends to then sell underperforming bad stocks even more. Right. So you might get it cheaper. So if you're looking at this and this is not one for people with ADHD. You've got to be yeah. one year, one and a half year time frame, you're willing to sit on it. If you're looking at it in that perspective, I'd probably buy 30% now, 30% in a couple of months, and 30% a bit later. Right. So okay. if, if there is a pullback, and I think when the market eventually has to have one, you can average down. You can average down. And you know that it's probably going to settle somewhere when they get their operations running again, it'll probably go back to, because people will remember yep. the problems it's had. Yep. So it'll probably go back to around 15, 16 bucks. I think the multiples will be substantiated as the, you know, you got to remember the other thing, the bond yield is rising, so growth stocks won't go to those multiples again. Yeah. So you still got a decent upside, but I wouldn't throw everything at it at this point. I'd probably yeah. buy gradually over the next three to four months. Yeah. Is, is that a, a, a good tactic to take, do you reckon, Scott? It's a good question. Look, I'm not a big fan of buying in thirds, I have to say, not to start an argument with Nathan this early in the program, but uh, <laughs> generally speaking, I think, look, if you're offered a good price, he's right that it could go lower. Of course, it may not. 
And so to some degree, to my mind, this is not a, this is not about treasure, about Nathan's view. I just, we have even some people at the Motley Fool say, look, buying in thirds is a good idea. I generally just like the idea because prices go up over time on average. So the, on average, the longer you wait to buy shares, the more you're going to pay. Now that may not be the case with treasury, but equally it may not fall any further. And so it really is a bit of a, it's a bit of a dice right. game from here. My only yeah. question is simply, does this price look attractive relative to the future long-term earnings of, of treasury? If I think the answer is yes, then I buy the shares. Now, if I have more money in six months' time, it may be the best idea and I might buy some more, but I wouldn't delay a purchase, particularly I wouldn't sit in cash to wait for that purchase because the price might fall. Because it might, as Nathan said, it may well go higher as well. And at some point you look back and go, oh sure. man, now it's 12 bucks. I wish I bought more at eight. And you don't do it because you maybe wait for it to come back down. Yeah. It's a big behavioral kind of challenge, I think, for, for many, many investors. Yeah. So yeah, you good, if you've got money you, now, I'm, you know. Are you a good rap on Tim Ford, the new chief executive? Yeah, look, I think, uh, look, I, I mean, you always prefer a, a proven performer. Uh, it was always, you know, better when Michael Clark was running the business because you say, okay, well, I, I know him, I know what he's done, I know what his strategy is, I know what to look out for. So, it, you know, the new blood is always riskier than old blood, generally speaking, as long as the old guys did a good job. Uh, so, look, but no reason to dislike him. I thought the, as I said, the release today was really, really thoughtful. It was exactly the right tone. If you've got to do a job of informing investors, uh, informing staff, talking to suppliers, yeah. Make sure you don't annoy China any more than you have to. I thought it was a really, really well-crafted, hit the spot as, as a press release to give everyone exactly what they needed without offending anyone or putting anyone offside. Okay. So pretty impressed with that. Pretty impressed with the contents of the strategy too. New, they're not going to push prices down. They said, look, we'll take the hit now. We're going to maintain our margins to maintain that brand prestige. And that's some long-term thinking that is well and truly missing from many ASX companies. So pretty happy to hear that. Um, and yeah, there will be some short-term issues. They pretty much acknowledge that as well. Okay. All right. Um, thank you for that. Um, let's move on to your 10 stocks that you've suggested for us. And Nathan Feng wants a view on Resolute Mining. This is a gold mining and exploration company in Africa and also uh, Australia mm -hmm. um, uh, in Mali as well. Mm -hmm. um, they put out their September quarter uh, results, which were pretty disappointing and probably the only gold <laughs> miner to be absolutely smashed it, uh, even though profits went up because of the gold price. Um, there are a few gold stocks um, in, in everything. There's winners and losers, and there are yep. a few losers, and this has been one of them. Um, in reality, most gold stocks have pulled back. Now, you've got to look at what's happening in the gold price and the regional sovereign risk. Now, the two African exposures that most people look at are Resolute and Perseus, uh, chalk and cheese. Perseus right. is at the top end does right. everything right, has delivered consistently. These guys have had patchy record, has been in the wars. Um, I actually think it's an interesting time because the gold sector, I expected a bit of a pullback when it ran up too hard. And if you look at the March uh, pullback, it got down to the 200-day moving average, yeah. just below it, and then bounced back. Now, it's done exactly the same thing now. We're just below the 200-day moving average, spot yeah. gold. And I expect that to recover. Uh, the only real game in play for central banks is to print more money. Yep. US dollar has broken multi-year lows. So I think US dollar is going lower, good for miners, um, and you've got negative yield everywhere, more money printing. So I think gold has, I don't pick a target for gold. I think the, the sentiment for me is it's going to go higher. Yep. So there's been a few big brokers saying that you're going to see $2,000 again um, in the next six to 12 months. Now, that being aside, so I expect gold stocks to do well. I'm, I'm positive on the right. sector. Now, Resolute has been one of the ones that's been in the bows. Um, I think you've got to be a bit careful when it's been underperforming and having issue operational issues. But the positive sign here is I wouldn't be running out to buy that. I would buy other gold stocks at the moment. 
have actually delivered. They've come back with the spot goal. So I'd probably yeah. look at someone like Gold Road or Saracen, where you got the protection of the MNI and you got yeah. Silver Lake. Those bigger players making good money and similar kind of play, but more Australian. So you got less sovereign risk. Now, the interesting part for me in the sector is I think the sector is going to go through more MNA. I think the Northern Star mm-hmm. Saracen is just the early, they're the big boys, they're the clean ones. You'll get the other ones playing out. So someone like Resolute should look pretty good for someone like Perseus because Perseus trades at a much higher multiple, better management, good track record of delivery. Right. They can pick up these assets and then you play the whole African exposure through one big player. Uh-huh. Um, I think there'll be a number of um, mergers and acquisitions in the mm-hmm. gold sector. And this is a potential one because you know it's what you if you're a private equity this is what you want badly managed assets with a good commodity so i think it's an interesting one if you have it i'd be holding on to it yeah. um, i think the macro is positive and potentially you'd get m a but if i had to pick a gold stock this would not be in the top 10. right okay go for something a bit safer um scott what do you think of uh, resolute yeah i agree with Nathan on the on the company analysis quite honestly i don't think it's one you necessarily want to be running after there are better and safer options. Now, I will say for what it's worth, sometimes this is the risk reward you're playing, right? You, you, you necessarily, you're probably paying up for quality and you're probably getting a, getting a discount for risk, which you should get, right? But th- that means the returns are likely much more variable. You're either going to do really well, really badly or somewhere in between. If you choose a safer, better option, you're probably going to be paying more, but you're probably happy to. So there is a bit of risk tolerance and risk appetite in this one for me. In terms of gold, I don't necessarily have a, a medium-term prediction. If I was to speculate, I take a slightly different view to Nathan in the sense that I think the economic recovery will likely beat down the gold price despite the dollar's devaluation. We'll see whether that's true, of course, or not. And the bond markets, of course, and the equity markets move in different directions. So, so much to come under the bridge. I think the long-term reality, I think I agree with Nathan, I assume I've read you right, mate, is, uh, is you have to have a really good view of the gold price if you're going to buy a gold miner because there's no point buying the best operating or the worst operating gold miner if the price goes against you. Um, you, you, know, you haven't got a hope in Hades. So, you know, yes, you want to ideally be able to, to, to look at the, the miner and say, hey, this miner is great, I'll buy them because if the gold price doubles or halves, it doesn't matter which gold miner you own, you're going to do well or badly accordingly. So you will do, of course, you know, less badly or more well, depending on which ones you buy. But generally speaking, you've got to have a view on a commodity price if you're going to pick a commodity producer or, or miner. Um, in this case, I simply put gold in the too hard basket. As I said, if I was to speculate, I would expect gold to be lower rather than higher in 12 months' time, but I'm certainly not doing it with any conviction and not putting my money behind either outcome. Yep, okay. All right, thing. thank you for the suggestion there. Raju, um, Scott wants a view on Eskia Healthcare, the, the residential aged care services group uh, here in Australia. Um, a lot of uh, residential aged care homes right around the Australia. Uh, right around Australia. Uh, what do you think of Eskia aged care homes of course, being under a lot of scrutiny uh, through the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I look, I struggle with these guys because we like to call them healthcare stocks. And yes, they provide healthcare, but it's largely kind of residential care for the most part. And so quite frankly, they're much more reasonably seen as a REIT rather than a healthcare provider. They're not a Ramsey private hospital, uh, a private hospital. They're not a they're not a sonic pathology lab. I mean, these guys are, are pretty much REITs that happen to have people in them rather than rather than stock or buildings or something else. And I don't mean that in any, you know, uh, unreasonable way, but the same as they own, own a unit block, for example, right? Same kind of thing. Yes, they provide some associated services. Yes, there's some money there, but the reality is these guys are gonna make a multiple of their of their underlying asset base. They're not an operating management company. Frankly, I think a management company would be far more interesting than, than, a, than a REIT from that perspective. As you say, Koshi, lots of pressure coming down the pike, not necessarily in the past only, but I think also in the future. If you think about the way 
SDR has been, and, and, it's, and it's ilk, have been considered as part of this. The possibility, I would say probability, that there are changes to healthcare, whether that is uh, the, the way it's regulated, the way it's managed, yeah. staffing, uh, there's a lot of potential, head, not, not necessarily actual headwinds, but certainly potential headwinds. Now, that can be okay. Every company's got risks. We talked about Treasury before. That certainly got some headwinds. But SD is currently trading on 25 times earnings, 24 and a half times earnings. That's a pretty penny to pay for effectively a REIT with a management layer on top of it. So it's just way too expensive for me uh, with way too many potential headwinds for me to jump in that. At 15 times earnings, we're having a different conversation. At 25 times, I just can't see the growth given the very heavy low returning asset base it has to justify the current price. Yeah. Uh, Scott makes a good, good point, mate, that does it because uh, you, you know, the governments, both federal and state, have said they're going to be looking into the um, um, the way they're, they're staffed and regulated, and that can only be a whole lot tighter, adding to the cost base. Yeah, it's interesting because um, this is a classic common thematic that everyone knows about. Yeah. It's a bit in Australia, we always talk about tourism, aged yeah. care. Everyone knows this is great thematic. Everyone priced it in straight away and then they realize, oh, this is going to take time and they all came off. And yeah. you didn't make returns on these sectors. Um, it's a tough sector, um, Scott's right. Um, I don't think the numbers are easy. Um, the, it is value on a relative basis on what it could be. Yep. Now, the question being is, how does the regulatory environment work for them? Now, this has been looked at for years. Everyone knew there was a problem. Um, and the model that they were functioning under was always under scrutiny. And I think that will change. Now, the question is, how does that play out? Anytime you go into these industries and you raise the regulatory requirement, what happens is the cost of service goes up. Cost, now, yeah. If you look at how the industry, it's a bit like Bunnings. Yeah. They're, they're only, I mean, you, everyone thinks Dunnings, Bunnings control the market, but they're only like less than 20% because there's a lot of, it's a fractured industry. Yeah. Same thing with aged care. They're, so what's going to happen is when you raise the cost of aged care, a lot of mom and dad shops will shut down. Yeah. So the bigger guys yeah, with the okay. good balance sheet right. will basically consolidate the industry. So I don't know where it's going to settle. It's going to be a rough patch over the next year. But when this dust settles and there is clarity on where the regulation sits, so and, that'll set the scene. And they've got to be more permanent rather than exactly. casuals going through a number of aged care facilities. Exactly. So once, once you have that, and that's why Saul Pattinson and the gang had a go at Regis Healthcare. Ah, now that's ah. probably the better one. That's why all of them have popped recently. They were cheap, not so cheap anymore, as Scott said. You got STR, you got Japara, and you got Regis. Yep. Now, from our numbers, we were looking at Regis as a potential better one on a relative basis. So there wasn't a surprise that it got the bid. Now, if you're willing to ride through this, at some point, a couple of these guys will be the big beneficiaries, but there's gonna be a lot of change. It's just too hard at this point. So it's not an investment case right now, but one thing you know for sure, we need that industry. So it will come back. So it's one to keep an eye on, and I would keep it on the watch list. Okay, all right, keep it on the watch list. Um, our next stock um, um, asked by you, the viewers, for us to have a look at, uh, Maitland, is Megaport, the, uh, the big data centre group. There's sort of the two leaders, are NextDC and Megaport, aren't they, in the in this sector? Yeah. Oh, look, if you don't know data centres are worth a lot, yep. uh, <laughs> you've got problems. Um, oh, look, it's a sector that everyone knows about. It's had yep. a great couple of years. Everything positive is priced in. They're a great model. It's got, I think from memory, Bevan Slattery 
attached to it. Yes. I mean, if you attach him to dung, it'll go up in price. <laughs> uh, so reality is it's a very good business. I think it's in the right space. It's coming off because pretty much everyone who wants to hold it is holding it. Yep. So that, you know, if there is a pullback in the market, these things that have done really well will see some pullback and give you a entry point. I, I yeah. think data centers are a structural sector that you want to have exposure in. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you know, Megaport is a pretty good one. So I don't mind that. Uh, there are other players. You could get it through Infratel um, and a few other players. Because Infratel has owns the, Canberra Data Center, doesn't it? Exactly. So yeah. there's a number of guys now getting into that space. And again, you know, if it's a good sector and you're paying big multiples, other people yeah. will come. So there will be challenges. So keep an eye on it. But I think this is a good business for that exposure. Okay. So I would buy it on a pullback. Okay. Buy it on a pullback. Yeah. So how big a pullback? Uh, look, I think this one, ooh, I, I'd be waiting for, if you just got to look at when the panic set in, where did it get down to? Well, it got down to the eight, nine, but I think we know a lot more about the sector now. Yeah. So I'd be looking somewhere around the 10 to $12 range. Okay. So if it gets closer to $10, I'd be a buyer there. Right. Okay. Scott, um, next DC uh, was on the call on Friday with uh, Julia Lee from uh, Berman Investing. Um, Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners, um, they, they thought Next DC was just way too high and waiting for it to come down to $10, Julia would, to, to look at it. She preferred Megaport um, and Adam preferred TDI uh, as, as okay. the other option yeah. in the sector as well. Yeah. So they're all the rage at the moment, these call centres, uh, uh, data centres, not a call centre, <laughs> a data centre. Aren't they what? <laughs> Mate, I've uh, I, sorry about the rage. I reckon. I, uh, I, I look. I, I've been wrong in Next DC for ages for exactly the reason Nathan suggested. I, I, for the life of me, cannot work out how you come. I mean, we talk about aged care being REIT. Effectively, a data center is just a, a REIT with computers in it, and and it's not that simple. But it's also not that much different. And uh, you know, if you've got a bit of know-how, yes, you need know-how. Yes, you need to be technically capable. But how they can charge these massive margins and someone else not turn up and take some of their lunch at a cut price deal is frankly surprising to me. I, I, I've been wrong on XSC because I've been waiting for someone to come and take those margins away and they never have. Maybe they never do. Maybe there's something I don't understand about the industry. So I'll call that out up front and say, look, I've been wrong on that one. Um, on what I really love about Megaport, Megaport's basically cable timeshare. And what I love about mm -hmm. that is that everyone pays overs uh, to, to get access to it if and when they want. But Megaport knows well they can actually have let's say two, three, four times, the, they can sell three, three or four times the capacity of the cable to everybody, knowing it's not going to be used at exactly the same time. And that's just a beautiful, beautiful model, right? If you had to have your own pipe from my place to your place, you pay X dollars for it. I can actually charge two or three times that for selling four times the, the volume, knowing that we're not all going to be online at the same time doing the same things with the same bandwidth requirements. So you literally are fractionalizing bandwidth the way that Vocus actually, you know, fractionalized direct comp uh, correct connection back in the day. So really, really smart approach. Um, as I said, Bevan Slattery has got a, a very, very good reputation. Frankly, thus far has deserved it based on what he's been able to do. So look, this is a speculative one for me. It's still very expensive relative to its current level of sales and earnings. You have to hope it keep, can keep growing. But I really, really like the, the, the basically, the, you know, the, the arbitrage that it gives, mm. you know, the shareholders because you're saying, well, I'll sell the same thing two or three times. No, not everyone's going to use it at the same time. And that's a really, really yeah. nice model. Uh, if you can get it right. Now, if they get it wrong, they'll have lots of unhappy customers. So you've got to get it right. But I really like the idea. Current price, I mean, I, I don't think it's a 20% either way kind of deal. I think it's, it's, it's probably, you know, it's either a $50 stock or a $5 stock in all probability. If it can get it right and really turn on a profitable business model, this thing's worth a hell of a lot more. If it can't, 
I don't think it can justify the current price. So it's a big, big range of outcomes. I'm probably cautiously a buy, quite honestly, because I think that range is big and I think they've got a really good chance of making it work. Uh, but certainly there's a lot already priced into the shares. Right, okay. So cautious, understand the risk, basically, Gavin. Uh, th- thank you for suggesting that. Um, our next stock um, is uh, Dicker Data. Um, Scott, this is the, basically it's a big electronics play, isn't it? It, pro- it provides computers, computer screens to, to big corporates uh, who have been going uh, during COVID and lockdown and people from working from home have been going absolutely berserk buying products in this area. And, and Dicker's share price has shown that. Yeah, Dick has done a fantastic job. This is a little, was a little business, still reasonably yeah. small, in the southern suburbs of Sydney that basically wholesales computers and electronics and, and software. Uh, back in the day, you had to get every, every bit of software on a box, and that, that's, that's changed. And basically course. still uh, run by the founder. Is that? Correct, by David Dicker, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, really good little business, doing doing as much as it can to, to be successful in, in the market where, you know, you would otherwise think this business was going to struggle when the software business went away. It's it's grown by organic growth, more customers, more products, also acquisition. So it's really cleverly bulked itself up in, in face of losing some of that physical software sale. But the results, as you say, that the printers and screens and monitors, I mean, we've used plenty of that. It doesn't just sell directly to the corporates themselves. It sells through um, often retailers, the Harvey Normans of the world, uh, JB Hi-Fi's of the world. It has distribution contacts on behalf of some of the manufacturers. And so it does that business. So it's a nice middleman kind of position to be in. It's one that we've liked for a very long time. We remain a little bit cautious that at some point, the whole like, industry could jump the shark. At some point it goes from growth to, okay, everyone's got enough of everything and software's going away. And so what does that mean? So you wanna be a little bit careful, but this has been a spectacular long-term story. David Dicker and the team, they're doing a wonderful job of just continuing to grow this business year after year after year, just doing the simple things really, really well. And in a, in a world where we all wanna talk about SaaS companies and cloud companies and high tech, high growth stuff, Dicker's kind of just doing old school warehousing and distribution <laughs> in a really, really clever way They've got yep. plenty of cash, really good balance sheet, good property portfolio. Uh, so this one's a buy for me. Okay. Nathan? Oh, look, I used to look at this for years because it used to turn up as a tech stock with dividend. <laughs> and you went, what the hell? And it, it's, it's a really interesting stock. It's, it, it looks simple, but it's complex. They do a lot of things, hardware, software, reselling. I mean, they do a really, really good job of a crappy area. And they execute really well. I mean, you can't get negative on these guys because they just do it well. Yep. But it is an illiquid stock. So fund managers tend to play in these stocks because if you get two or three fundies into this, they can just ram up the share price. Now, if one or two of them decide to get out, it, there is a decent pullback. So it can be volatile because of the illiquid nature. Yep. It's never going to be that cheap because this thing is managed like as well as anything else. It sort of delivers. Oh, it's, 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 like, uh, it's like watching Melbourne Storm Management. I mean, they just keep <laughs> delivering year after year. They just turn yeah. up. Yeah. Well, Port Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so in that context... Oh, no, Richmond. <laughs> I think it would be a oh, yeah. comparison. Look, I go, I go for Tigers. So I yeah, go yeah. for <laughs> worse Tigers and Richmond. So there you go. Um, look, these, these guys are never going to be that cheap. But you have to be a bit careful chasing it when it's had right. such a good run-up. Now, in the software, software side of things, there is a reseller called Ripe. Now, it's an interesting one. Again, it's a small cap, illiquid, but Ripe's big growth story is in Japan, and that's a multi-year process of getting the model up and running there, and right. that's cost. So that hasn't done as well recently, 
So there's more upside on the software side of things yeah. in, right? right? I think right. that's a big, interesting story with the growth in Japan playing out. Um, look, ticker data is one where you always keep it on the list. If it has a decent pullback, you jump in. So look, it's had a good run from about, it was sitting around consolidating between seven and $8. It's now broken out, it's now 10 plus, 10 and a half. Yeah. Uh, I'd expect that this, that's run a bit too much. I mean, it is good, but it's run back. So I'd probably wait for it to come back and settle probably around eight to nine dollars. Yep. Um, I think the valuation is never going to look cheap. That's the problem. So again, this is one of those ones where if you're going to get into this stock, you've got to think really long term yep. and you've got to trust management. And there yep. is no need to doubt them. They have done well. So yep. in, a, in a pullback, I would be buying a bit at a time. It's one of those where you buy and keep till they yep. do something seriously wrong. So right. you know, okay. for the last four or five years, they've done everything right. All right. There you go. That's uh, Dicker Data and our fit stock. Uh, Caroline wants a view, um, Nathan, on CML Group, uh, Chase Mineral Groups, uh, uh, exploration um, activities, research into the technological use of topaz. Yeah. This is an unusual this is little a, resource. Yeah, stock. this is a one of those little fancy stocks that gets played around. Now, it's a tough one for me. Um, it kind of doesn't do much um, for a while. There's always stories. There's always M&A talk. Um, so this is one of those ones just too hard and too volatile. Yep. Um, I just don't, I, I, I prefer management building a thematic and building a story and growing the business with that. When they're volatile and the market doesn't know what to do with it and it's volatile, it's just, for me, it smells too much trouble. And yep. this one is one of those where it's just too hard. I, I think, look, it's an interesting one in the context that if you're after volatility, this is one stock that offers you because it's got a number of pieces to it. But it's not the easiest thing to digest <laughs> and it's been hard for a lot of small cap fundies to work out. So right. I just think, you know, it's one where you just go, it's just easier investments. There's a okay. lot of easier place to be. All right, Scott. Roshi, I'm gonna give our viewers an 11th stock because uh, the, the, the detail I was given was CML Group and the code CGR, which is now the company called EasyPay, which yeah. is the company I've researched. So Nathan and I have done ah, research on different okay. businesses. Right. Yeah, so depending on, what was, depending on what the, our viewer were asked for, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get two different companies. Hey, I, I, I may have got it wrong. It is called EasyPay. No, 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 no I, I, our viewers got 11 okay. stocks for the price of 10 either way, right. mate. So that's all okay, we'll, yep, we'll perfect. So, so look, EasyPay was CML Group, now changed code. EPY is the new code, literally brand new. In fact, I tried to look up uh, EGL, EGO, uh, couldn't find it, CGR, sorry, couldn't find it. So EasyPay is what I did find, which the company has been yep. renamed to. And this is the business of cash flow management. Early pay, sorry, I, should, I said EasyPay. I'm sorry, Crushy. Early pay early is the pay, business. Right. Um, early, early pay, it's, it's, it's in the business of cash flow management for businesses, the idea of fractionalizing your um, your accounts receivable, you know you're going to get some money, they'll pay you early if you take a discount on that. Um, not unlike Afterpay from the retail level, uh, you get the money oh, okay. up front, the, you know, the customer pays yeah. later. Uh, it's, not, it's not booked the same way, you don't have to do it from a customer perspective, but the, the idea is the same. If you want the money early, you get less of it, and that's what yep. early pay provides. There's plenty of others in the area, the Scottish Pacific do similar things, there's a lot of others in this space. Um, it, it's, it's a small company, it's reasonably, it's only at 90 odd million dollars, I think, from memory, so really small. Interesting area to watch. It's not the biggest or necessarily the best in this space, but it is trying desperately to find and carve itself a niche. It's not what I could buy yet, but I'd happily keep an eye on it. And if it does start to get continued traction after this rebrand and the focusing of its business, one to keep keep watch on. Of course, by definition, these guys are taking accounts receivable risk 
and passing you the certainty as the business, that means yep. they're effectively in the business of, of risk management. And right now, in the midst of COVID, is not the time I really want to buy an accounts receivable fractionalizing business. So give it a no. miss for a little while, <laughs> see how it goes. But then at some point, it's, it's only a third and odd times earnings based on the numbers I've seen. If that's true, um, it's not overly expensive either, and one well and truly worth watching. I just think right now, okay. small young business in the midst of in the midst of a potential you know real current recession, um, tough tough business to try and put your hand on. So yep, definitely buy it now. At some yep. point, probably worth buying. Okay, all right. Let's recap the first five stocks in our stock of the day: Treasury Wine Estate. Um, yes, from both Scott and Matham, but Matham's saying do a gradual investment, and if the stock pulls back, um, average down, sort of invest. 30% of your allocation that you may have earmarked for Treasury Wine Estate, 30% and then see how the stock price goes. Um, Resolute, a no um, uh, from both Matham and Scott. They look you know, uh, something a bit more consistent like Gold Road or Saracen or even Perseus in that, that small area. Estia, both a no. Uh, Megaport, a cautious buy from, uh, from Scott. Um, Matham likes the company, but the share price is pretty high at the moment. If it gets around that $10, $11 mark, then start to look at it. But a well-run company in that um, data center area. Uh, Dicker, a yes from uh, Scott, uh, a hold from Matham. But if there's a, a, a bit of a pullback uh, to around $8 or $9, um, he'd be really interested in that. And uh, take a look at Ripe if you want a, a smaller alternative that Looks as though it's going places. And uh, both CMLs uh, are no, whether it be the resources stocks or early pay. But if it's the early pay version, uh, keep a watch on that going forward. So uh, here at the call, we have uh, been tracking our own portfolio. Any stock that gets um, a thumbs up from our expert panel, from both our experts, goes into the portfolio. Uh, let's take a look at how we're going up uh, the last week, one and a third percent, ten, nine and a half percent for the month and uh, almost 24 percent since the 1st of July. If we take a look at some of the stocks recently added, Ampol, South32, Redbubble, Elmo Software, Credit Clear. Our stocks taken out include NextDC and uh, now Megaport is being taken out because if a stock in the portfolio comes up again and does not get two ticks of approval, okay. it goes mm. out of the portfolio. So today, um, Next DC or Megaport is out. Next DC has already been taken out, and Eagles Automotive, um, the, the call centre groups, because the share prices are so high, so take some profits, wait for a pullback. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see the stocks in the portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, Today is Cyber Monday, uh, concluding one of the biggest retail trading days in the lead up to Christmas, or, or four days, uh, to tell us how the weekend has gone and what to uh, uh, retail can expect from the holiday season. Chief Executive of Accent Group, uh, Daniel Agostinelli, uh, joins us. Accent Group actually is in the course portfolio, one of our, our better retailers. Yeah. is on at 1.40 this afternoon here on Ausbiz. That's a good business. Yeah. Good business, Payton? Yeah, very good business. Yeah, yeah. Really run well and yeah. gets a lot of raps from uh, from investors. As I say, uh, the experts have already got that in the uh, in the calls portfolio. All right, let's move on. And uh, next stock that our viewers want to uh, look at is Beach Energy, Scott. 
and uh, Beach Energy in the last couple of weeks. It's um, share prices really soared on uh, that gas discovery. At, what is it at its enterprise uh, well in the Otway Basin um, down in Victoria, but a well-regarded energy stock. It is, Koshi, and that, that new uh, discovery is always great. I mean, these things can be hit and miss, frankly. In advance, it's always tough to toss the coin and work it out. Once it's been resolved, though, and assuming they can commercialise it successfully, that's a really good find for Beach, and I really like quite like what they're doing there. I will say, a bit like I mentioned with the top of the show with gold and Resolute, you are at the mercy of the oil price, you know, almost by definition. Um, a good operator can keep a business alive long enough to benefit from that. A bad operator can destroy a business despite a high price, but you can't make money no matter how good you are if the oil price is too low. The good news, I think, for, for Beach, again, I, I'm not going to say it's a buy because I simply don't know where the oil price is going next. But what I would say is, on average, if you're trying to find a time to buy these sort of miners and drillers, the time to buy is when the commodity price is low, ideally at or around the marginal cost of production globally, because at that point, you know that not much more production can be bought on stream at a lower price. And so all else being equal, the, the risk reward is very much in favor of the reward of the price going higher over time. Now, if it does, as we know, drillers and miners end up making multiples of that because their costs are the same. But as they add a dollar, then $5 and $10 and $25 of profit as the price goes up, you see how quickly that scales. And so their profit margins scale accordingly, their profit dollars scale accordingly. So buying when the price is around, the marginal cost of production is a good time. Problem with oil is the marginal cost of production is probably in the, the single dollars a barrel if, if OPEC let it do its thing. And so you're always at the mercy of what OPEC decides to do price-wise. If it decides to put prices down, you're in trouble, it pushes them up, you're okay. So all that said, I can't recommend Beach because I don't know where the oil price goes next and you are taking too much risk in my view. But that said, if you were to pursue a strategy of buying commodity players when the price is at or around the marginal cost and holding them for an extended period of time thereafter, I think you'll do very, very well. So if you're going to play that game regularly, I'd be happy to add Beach to that sort of basket now. If you're not going to play that game regularly and over a long period of time, taking a flyer on one commodity player that might have or might not have a higher commodity price 6, 12, 18 months from now, just too risky for me. So it's not a buy. Uh, I will say it's a sell force to make a choice, but I don't think the price is in any meaningful trouble anytime soon. But uh, I can't argue for holding it either on the same basis. I don't know where the oil price okay. goes next. All right, Nathan. Oh, look, I mean, in the, in the energy sector, the, the high beta players are Beach and Santos, um, and they basically run on LNG prices. So we had the PMI data uh, out of Japan and Korea improve relatively well, uh, chasing after what China was doing. Yep. So in that recovery cycle, the LNG price has started to recover. So they've had a big bounce back, even though energy price bounced a bit, the LNG price has really jumped out. So in that context, that's why we've seen, and also the reflation trade. So people are assuming things will pick up yep. and the, there'll be more usage. Um, it's run, the, the beauty of having so many robots in the market now is when you get these things going, the quant models run through and price them in very quickly. So we've had a pretty big run in the energy sector. It was the value trade, that and the banks. So the energy and the bank sector have gone from value to expensive in a matter of one month. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of a dramatic move in the sector because there hasn't been a massive demand increase. There's a perception of demand will improve. Now you've got Europe in lockdown. Um, what's happening in the US, I think inevitably in the next couple of weeks we'll go into lockdown. So you will see some weakness in demand over the next month or so. So I expect uh, you're probably going to see a weak oil price. But the seasonality for oil tends to be in the start of the year. So there, there'll probably be a buy time around the January, the Northern Hemisphere, winter kicking right. in, more uses. Yeah. Um, so in that context, there will be a play. 
Um, I'm not chasing it at 180. I think the valuation looks expensive here. Um, if it comes down to below around 140, uh, I'm a buyer here. I think right. Beach and Santos are the best exposures in the energy sector. I think the longer term, they play quite well, but in the shorter term, they're going to be volatile. Right. Okay. All right. Um, our viewers want a view, Nathan, now on Infomedia. Um, info now, whenever anyone says media, they go, ah, no, go away. But Infomedia is really interesting. They do electronic catalogs That's for right. the car industry, don't yeah. they? So it's not, not for you and I. Yeah. It's from all of the, the car dealers and repair shops and things That's like right. that to get the parts. So That's it's right. Very specific and very specialised. Exactly. It's it's a it's a boring business, but done really well. Yeah. Um, it can be a it's bit still choppy. doing well. Yeah, and it can be choppy because they've got big clients. If they lose one of those big clients, that kind of uh, has a decent dent into their earnings. Yeah. But look, I like them. They're one of those players that you buy in, in a kind of a decent pullback when the valuation works for you. It's had a decent bounce. It, uh, it's almost defensive because when the COVID uh, attack came through, everyone suddenly went, oh, what's going to work? Well, everyone thought you're not going to buy as many cars. Then everyone realized, oh, Jesus, I don't want to get in public transport. Yeah. So <laughs> the used car sales globally took off. Yeah. And yeah. so obviously parts, fixing them. So the car dealerships have done well on the yeah. back of that. So there's a service-oriented business and this one works with yeah. all the service-oriented. So uh, look, it's global, it's doing well. The thematic, I don't think is gonna go away. So I think it's an interesting stock. I think it's an interesting tech um, and they do it well. And I yeah. think um, whether it's electric or not, probably you'll have less servicing over the long term, uh, but I think that'll evolve. And so I think being online, they're able to evolve with it. Um, so I think it's an interesting stock. I like it. Um, I'm not chasing it here because yeah. the market's pretty good at this one. It's been pretty aware of it. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying it's a it's a sell. It's not a buy either. Hold from right. me right, right here. Okay. But if it comes back, um, I, I look. If it comes back, I'd say below 170. So if you can pick it up around the 140 to 170 range, right. um, I'm a, a happy holder around here. I think okay. it's an interesting stock. All right, Scott, Infomedia. Bit too expensive for me, Koshi. Uh, it's it's always tempting to either extrapolate or not extrapolate the past. It, you know, sometimes you want to say, well, it's doing well, so therefore it'll keep doing well, or it's done badly, so we'll keep doing badly. I, I've got to put in both camps. Nathan is absolutely right about the quality of the business and what it's done so far. He's also dead right about the fact that losing one significant customer punches a massive hole in the PL um, because we all know that this business, that they're wonderful businesses when they are, you know, each new customer is relatively you know, high margin because providing the same software to new customers. Yes, you've got a new catalog probably for a new car brand or something else, but the cost of actually providing that once it's created is almost nothing. The flip side of that, of course, is when you lose a customer, it's almost all profit that you lose as well. So it's a, it's a tough business on both ends of the spectrum. We have in the past seen plenty of times where, I mean, if, if you look at if you look at very long term, maybe 10 year share price charts, it's been all over the place because you know it picks up business, loses the business, picks up business, loses the business, and it just whipsaws the PL massively. I've got to say 35 times earnings, I just don't know if there's enough growth left in the industry or that can pick up as a, as a business to really justify today's price at 35 odd times earnings, as I mentioned. So for me, good business, well run, seems like it's going pretty well right now. I've just seen this movie before and maybe this is the exception to the rule. Maybe it goes on to bigger and better things and never never again tests our patience with those <laughs> big whipsawing you know, customer losses and, and wins, but I wouldn't put money on it. So I'm, I'm gonna tar it with some sort of historical brush, maybe unfairly, but in the interest of not taking undue risk, I'll leave yeah. this one on the shelf. All right. 
Okay, Charles, there you go. Thank you for uh, that suggestion. Scott Nikita wants a view on GUD Holdings. Now, they manufacture, import, sell uh, automotive pumps. You see them in V8 supercars and things like that, but uh, also pool and spa systems, water pressure systems. They're uh, in Australia, New Zealand, France and Spain. I, I, I got to say, I've got to soft spot for the old conglomerate, the old three-letter conglomerate that kind of, you know, has gone by the wayside <laughs> in, in recent years. There, there's some sense of the business just kind of keeps on keeping on, as I've already said, in a, in a throughout Megaport and other tech businesses already today, yeah. in, a, in a in a world where that's the, that's the future. <laughs> the old the old school industrial conglomerate that makes makes pumps is kind of, you know, yeah. it's a nice nice hark back. Uh, look, I want to like GUD. Maybe maybe I'm just feeling sentimental. The problem I have, unfortunately, is that this this multiple is really quite high. It's twenty odd times earnings, which again is not super high, but it's not 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 cheap either. And again, unfortunately, the flip side of that is because it is a you know industrial kilometre of sorts. It has slimmed down. To be fair, it's been through so many incarnations. Koshi, as you probably know, it's had yeah. different businesses at different times. It's bought and sold and bought and sold. It seems to be now a little more slimmed down, a little more focused on that pumps business in in various ways, and that's probably positive. But I just, I, I, I don't know how you have enough confidence as a business that it has 20 times earnings worth of growth left in it as an operation. Now, yes, interest rates are low. So yes, you might be able to say, well, you know, maybe it's worth a bit more. But then again, the market's worth more as well. And our job here, of course, is to buy stocks that are gonna beat the market. Otherwise, we might as well buy the market and, and go fishing. Uh, I can't see enough visibility of the future and frankly enough growth potential for GE to be a market beater from here. So unfortunately, despite my, uh, my you know, a bit of, a bit of uh, I want to like it. I really do. I just can't bring myself to at the current price. Uh, um, you call it retro investing. You know, it's like, you know, we all love the flares. We all love the old school companies or, or want to love them. Uh, Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it's a bit like when your kids love Apple because they know what Apple is. And it shows our age because we know what GUD is. And it's been around. It's done a few things. Uh, look, it used to be comparable to Breville and then now they're completely oh, different yeah, yeah, businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in context, look, I, I think it's, it's not bad. But again, it's priced for being not too bad. Um, and it's priced at a premium because the market's a premium. Um, Scott's right. I, I just don't see the firepower for me to see it go higher. If you looked at it over the last three, four years, mm. it's been up and down around the same spot. Yep. Um, it had its run and now it's mm. fairly priced. Even something, you know, it's a bit more cyclical now. If the yep. market, you know, consumers are not doing stuff, uh, in, you know, there's not many investment in the area going through, then the stock will come off and then yep. it'll go up. So you're just riding the waves. So if you're riding the waves, you want to buy it when it's discount and the market's ignoring it. So, you know, if you look at the previous pullbacks, you want to see it around the nine to ten dollars, uh, yeah. probably closer to nine dollars. When it comes back, that's when the market doesn't like it. Yeah. That's when you want to buy it because these guys reinvent themselves all the time. So yeah. if you buy it at nine bucks, you just leave it, and the next cycle you flip it. Yeah, this is one you, of those trading stocks that really reinforces what you're talking about. Yeah, isn't it? it's you're of, in that trading range because yeah. it's it's not it's not your Altium, it's not your Wisetech yeah. that's going to suddenly it's change just, the world. It's just a solid yeah, exactly. performer, the, which is nothing wrong for a there's business nothing, to be a solid but, performer. But that's the thing. But you're if you're a shareholder, exactly. Yeah. So you're there to make money, not yeah. not you know satisfy the goodness of the market. Yeah, so yeah. in context, this is a cyclical business that's going to be linked to the economy. Um, it'll have its cycles. Buy it when it's cheap. Don't buy yeah. it when it's coming lower. So okay. sit back and wait. All right. Um, Nathan uh, Matthias wants a view on My State, which uh, is a regional financial institution. It's basically 
the State Bank of uh, Tasmania, which based in Hobart, also includes Tasmanian Perpetual Trustees, uh, a regional bank, if you like, which I don't think has come up before on the call. Um, yeah, look, I've actually been looking at this for a while um, because of my former shop used to cover it. Right. Um, and it's, you know, one thing about being in the industry long, you find out all these stocks. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a proxy for the big banks yep. in the smaller space. Um, when so it's Tasmania's version of Bank of Queensland, yeah, pretty and much. That sort of yeah. Thing. So, of so the risk is obviously as you go smaller, you get into the higher risk. You got your big four and Macquarie, yep. they're the big boys, and then you got Bank of Queensland, Bank of uh, Bendigo Bank, it's had, and had then you got month, though, hasn't it? every every bank has had yep. a good month. Every yep. bank globally has had a good month. Yep. You could have bought any bank anywhere in the world, and you'd have had a good month. Right. Now that's a macro trade that's run through, so that's benefited everyone. Um, bond yields recovering, reflation trade, um, properties prices doing a bit better. That's all played out. So yep. again, as I said before, the banks in one month has gone from being a value trade to expensive trade. Yep. So this is also a currency trade. So when currency is going up for the wrong reason, because RBA wants it lower, but because US dollar is crashing, Aussie dollar is getting pushed up. Yep. So the Aussie dollar is flying and when the Aussie dollar runs, the global investors tend to trade the uh, value trade through our banks yep. on a global basis. So that's boosted our banks and that's flown on over to everyone else. So everything that's in the lending play has been doing well in yep. the mortgage lending place. So yes, you've had a good run. Uh, did you get it for the right reason because the business suddenly killed it? No. Right. Take profit. Right. Take profit okay. <laughs> and come back later because there's been a handout fest that's been going around and that's going to start to come off and there's going to be uh, economic problems that'll play out and yep. there's a lot of dead wood in the economy that gets, needs to get knocked off and that'll have an effect. Okay. Uh, we don't have much migration, property prices won't last. So when people are excited and everyone's pumping it up, that's when you want to let these go. So the banks have had a really good run. The bang for your buck is not in the banks anymore, it's more in the resources. So if you've been there, you've done well for yep. the wrong reason, take the profit. Okay. All right, Scott. I agree with the overvaluation of the banks in general. I think they're up something like 20, I think Commonwealth Bank was up 20% in a month, only you know two weeks ago or something. So Nathan's absolutely right. And some of those PEs, I think the big four banks are all between 18 and 22 times earnings, which if you follow banks for a while, you know, as Nathan says, is remarkably high and either the share prices come down or profits come up, and I'm not sure which. Um, profits front, by the way, for banks are looking better than they were any time over the last six or eight months. The uh, lack of need for a lot of those provisions, I think will actually then probably wind some of them back in the next six, 12 months. Um, again, anything could happen between now and then. But I mean, realistically, the way the economy has come out of COVID is better than anyone would have dared hope, um, let alone forecast. So, you know, there, we are in a good position. Um, there will be fewer bad debts than we had originally feared. House price growth seems to be back on. So as long as that holds true, and it may not, as Nathan said, um, the banks are probably worth more than we thought. Are they worth 22 times earnings for a couple of them? Yeah. I doubt it very much. Yeah. Now, my state, 14 times earnings currently on my number. So I have to say, I quite like, my state is my favorite of the regional banks, um, mm. largely because it's kind of a bit of a plain vanilla bank. It just does its thing and kind of keeps its nose relatively clean, which, you know, in banking shouldn't have been a big deal. But as we know from the Royal Commission <laughs> and onwards, um, it's kind, it's kind yeah. of nice to see for a change. So if you're going to buy a, if you're going to buy a regional bank, I have to say my state's probably my pick. And I don't think it's super demanding at 14 times earnings. So the big bank's way too expensive. My state, I don't know, if you want a bank exposure, I'd probably go with this one. I won't. I don't want to necessarily buy it at this price. I don't think the future growth is enough to be market beating, so I wouldn't buy my state. But I have to say, if you're looking for a bank, you go, you do a lot worse than grabbing okay. my state off the shelf. I'll put one in there. 
uh, Scott's right, the banks have actually prepared for an upgrade cycle. So they've smashed and put a lot of provisions out there. Yeah. They're going to create an upgrade cycle by right. reducing their provisions. Right. So the banks are in a good position that way and the market knows that and that's why the multiples have gone oh, stupid. Okay. Right. So don't expect that the upgrades are going to drive the price higher because the price is already pricing that yep. in. Okay. All right, we've got to get to our final stop reasonably quickly. We're coming up towards the top of the hours. And Scott, Alex wants a view on national storage. Now, this is basically a REIT, isn't it, that holds all of the um, national storage storage buildings around the country. Correct. And self-storage is a booming industry, Koshi. More of us are reluctant to throw our stuff away, so we're paying someone a couple hundred bucks a month to keep it for us. Uh, yep. I have to say, you know, if there's a boat or something worthwhile, knock yourself out. There are way too many Australians with way too much junk in these places, I, I dare to say. Anyway, uh, that's, that's more a social comment than an, than an economic or an investment <laughs> one. Here's the problem I have with, with REITs, generally speaking, is you're going, if you buy a REIT for about book value, you're going to get a rental yield return plus whatever they can do, hopefully without too much additional cash, to drive incremental development gains. Westfield were a master of that back in the day. The development gains made a fortune, the management rights made a fortune. The REIT itself was always reasonably ordinary and that's why Westfield, the management company was great until they rolled it all back together yeah. and the shine came off the Westfield portfolio. Um, national storage, I think, is risking the same thing. I don't expect over time with that meaningful leverage, it can be a market beater. So just on that alone, probably a great stock. It'll keep growing, it's gonna have more demand by more people. So profit will grow. Yep. I just don't think on a per share basis, you can going to get market beating returns from it. Okay, Nathan? Oh, look, it's a unique uh, read. Uh, I like it. Global thematic is actually quite positive on this one, but it's not going to shoot the lights out. It just grinds yep. out and pays you a decent yield. Uh, if that's what you want, this is great. One of your free kicks would be, there's a potential that globally there'll be M&A in that specific read category. Yep. Yep. So that could uh, boost the share price, but don't expect to see it up 10, 20% in a month, okay. but it's a solid player. So is it more for a, a cautious... It's for the uh, guy who doesn't want to get shocked. Right. Uh, you just with, buy it and then... With, if a, it decent, pulls, with a decent year. Yeah, good management. Um, as far as I can see, the numbers are okay. You hold it, you're not going to get shot. Yeah. But you look, it's not, it's not your sexy investment. Okay. All right. Uh, let's recap the, uh, the final five stocks. Um, Beach, a no from both Nathan and Scott. Although a good thematic, if they pull back... Beach and Santos are the, the two best in the sector. Infomedia, a hold from Nathan, a no from Scott. GUD, a no from both. Uh, my state, no from Scott. Nathan would be just taking the profits because you've had a great run. That's a good gift for you. Uh, national storage, no, unless you're uh, a really cautious uh, investor that may want a yield stock with very limited downside. Uh, Nathan, great to see you. Good to be uh, here. Have a great week. Scott Phillips from Motley Fall, great to see you as well. And appreciate your time, both of you, on the call today. Thanks, guys. Um, now, that's our show for today. If you want any stocks to uh, that you want put with, uh, before our ex experts, I almost said exports, but they're <laughs> staying right here, uh, email them through using the at ausbiz.com.au email address or through Twitter uh, at TV. Now, a reminder, if you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want to wrap up of the day in business, finance, startups, markets, uh, at 5.30 p.m. in your inbox, uh, Scuddy and Nadine do it every day to subscribe to that, ausbiz.co. Uh, forward slash join and uh, Startup Daily Show 
come out between two and three. They look at companies seeking capital and all the latest in the startup sector. Uh, Carly Shamgar, who has launched a new payments platform for micro gifting. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show with a lot of other founders and venture capitalists as usual between two and three. That's it for the call. A lot happening on Ausbiz throughout the afternoon. You don't want to miss a minute of it. We'll be back after the break.